Hey, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. While you turn there, I'm going to say a prayer for us. Lord, we just pray that you would accomplish all you desire to accomplish. As I share your word, that you would speak through me. Um, and that we would be encouraged by the hope of heaven and by the promises that you give us in your scripture about that. Um, we pray for that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. So if there's a title for this, it would be that there's evidence for the afterlife. And that as we talk about um, this series and the book that John Burke wrote, Imagine Heaven, um, as not just our church, but this is a citywide series. And as we talk about that, um, these near-death experiences give us um, some great evidence of, of afterlife, of what happens to us after we die. And so what we hope to, the question we hope to answer is that, what happens to me when I die? And so I think in that regard, I'm excited about this series and what we're going to see and hear and talk about. Um, honestly, it's been a little bit intimidating as I've prepared for it because I want to get it right. And so I've looked at uh, the scripture, obviously, <laughs> Um, 1 Corinthians 15, but also I've looked at commentaries, I've looked at other uh, Bible resource books, um, I've read, you know, the pastor's notes that they've sent out, um, and all this stuff, and so here's kind of where I've landed in this. You're going to have these videos that come out that are 15-minute videos um, that you'll be able to watch. We'll send a link for that. If you get the newsletter, you'll get that link um, after Sunday message. We'll, we'll send that out. And if you don't get the newsletter, go to nwcommunity.org and sign up to get it. And we'll be sure you get these links so you can watch these with your roommates or your family or your small group, however you guys want to do that. But there's questions at the end of the video. These 15-minute videos each week will have plenty of stories. I'll refer to some stories, but what I'm primarily going to do is talk about Scripture and what the Bible says about what happens to us after we die. And so here's the verse that, that is, or verses in Colossians 3, 1 through 3, that I want, that's kind of my theme for this. It says this, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Once you hear that, it's not a maybe or a if or it's a reality. Did you hear, did you, like the, the realities of heaven and that our real life is hidden with Christ in God. This is where Christ sits right now. And we talked about that a little bit last week in the Easter message, but that's where he is right now at God's right hand at the place of honor. So I want to talk about like a lot of times when we think about heaven, we have more opinions than facts if we're honest. And it's what maybe a favorite uncle or favorite aunt or a parent might have said to us. And we're holding on to something, but we haven't really researched it. It's kind of like a big mystery. And we have a big mystery folder, but we haven't really dug in. And so in this today and, and in the next few weeks, we're going to really kind of dig in and see what Scripture says about it. Um, and I really do want to encourage you to go to the series website, whatsafteratx.org, and check that out. I also want to encourage you to read John Burke's book. Uh, imagine heaven. I want to tell you that like for me, um, somebody brought that book over after Celia's mom died um, unexpectedly and and we were shocked and um, all torn up and they brought the book over and she began to read it and I didn't think much of it. But as she began to relay these stories to me, I was like, wow. And so I got a copy and I started to read through it. And what I found was the more I heard about these people's stories, 
um, the more comforted I was, the more I began to love Jesus and how he interacted with people who had these near-death experiences. So my hope is that it's comforting and hopeful for you as well. They have a free booklet online if you don't want to read the whole book. If you're like me or you're a spark noter or whatever, you can just get the booklet. It's free and it's online, or you can read the whole book um, if you're a straight-A student. I know, maybe you are. Anyway, so here, what are near-death experiences? And so just quick, it's no heart. Somebody has no heartbeat, no brainwave, and they're dead for 30, 60, or 90 minutes. And um, somehow, whether miraculously or through medicine, they're brought back to life after this extended period of time of no heartbeat and no brainwave. And then when they're in that state, they, in, in this book and in this series, you'll hear about people go having an out-of-body experience where they come up above and they're able to look down and see people working on them and they float some of them through, you know, out of the hospital or out of a car wreck scene or whatever. And they go into like a tunnel of light and come into this bright, brilliant light and they meet um, Jesus or they, they'll talk about a being that's loving and kind and gracious, that they come into that place. And so while this is new for some of us, it's not new in scripture. We think about Lazarus who was dead and buried, but Jesus brought back to life. We think about the little girl of the Jew, the daughter of the Jewish leader that was brought back, the son of the widow at Nain that was brought back to life. These aren't, and in this case, those people haven't gone on to heaven, into like a heavenly body. These are resuscitations where they've come back into their bodies. And so that's similar to what these people with these stories that we're going to look into have experienced. Um, and the thing is, is there isn't like 10 or 20 people that have had this experience or hundreds. There are thousands of people that have had these experiences. And in this book, Imagine Heaven, Burke has studied over a thousand of these and relays over a hundred of these stories in that book. And so you'll see some of those in the videos as we go forward. So let me start here. What do scientists say? And so I want to give you a few uh, quotes from three different scientists that have studied these near-death experiences. Dr. Michael Sabom is a cardiologist, and uh, he heard about this from a patient. And so he dug into it to refute it. His, his goal was he wanted to disprove or refute that it happened. So here's what he had to say. Before talking with Pete and scores like him, Sabom says, I didn't believe there was such a thing as a near-death experience. He told me he had left his body during his first cardiac arrest and watched the resuscitation. When I asked him to tell me exactly what he saw, he described the resuscitation with such detail and accuracy that I could have later used the tape to teach physicians. Sabom says, these people like Pete Morton saw details of the resuscitation that they could not otherwise have seen. One patient noticed the physician who failed to wear scuffs over his white patent leather shoes during open heart surgery. In many cases, I was able to confirm the patient's testimony with medical records and with the hospital staff. I just want to say, um, I want the doctor to be good and resuscitate me, but I don't want him to wear white patent leather shoes. Um, anyway, he goes on to say this. I wanted to see if it would pass scientific muster. It did. After five years of research, he said, I published my findings in the book, Recollections of Death. So there's another resource if you're curious about this. 
This Dr. Michael Sabom, a cardiologist, has done his own investigations and has now published a book. Not only did he publish a book, he wrote an article in the Journal of American Medicine, JAMA, I'm going to call it, J-A-M-A. And in that article, there's another doctor, Dr. Long, who's a radiation oncologist. And Dr. Long read that article. And after he read that article, uh, he was at dinner with some friends. And one of his friends, a lady named Sheila, kind of reluctantly said, oh, well, I had an experience like that. I mean, look, she had had a food allergy that caused her to code out. And so when she did, she floated, like I said earlier, she floated outside of her body. She was looking over doctors and nurses feverishly working on her, only she felt this crazy, strange peace. And so she said she floated past the nurse's station and she saw this tunnel of this bright light that she was drawn toward. And she went through that light and she encountered what she called this warm, loving being who she later identified as Jesus. And she had this overwhelming sense of being loved and accepted, and she was given the option to stay there or to come back into her body. So that was the most difficult decision because she said she felt like she was home and she didn't want to go back. But obviously she did. So she relayed all of this to Dr. Long. So Dr. Long then began to study, and you'll see him in some of the videos, but Dr. Long began to study, study thousands of cases, and is interviewed in Burke's book. And he said this, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of NDEs, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. NDEs provide such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. Okay, one more, one more scientist, this guy, J.M. Holden, who's a professor of psychology. And here's, uh, he studied 93 cases, okay, of people that in his mind had verifiable observations. In other words, they observed things when they had a near-death experience that he could go back and, and, and verify. And he said, of these out-of-body perceptions, 92% were completely accurate. So 92% of the 93 cases he studied had completely accurate. 6% contained some error, and only 1% were completely erroneous. Um, so these are the reports of a cardiologist, a radiation oncologist, and a professor of psychology, all of whom have nothing to gain other than their curiosity. These are the guys that were trained to be critical, right? And this is their observation. I, I like to think about it, like when I was passing notes in science class, these are the guys that like knew what was going on with the beakers, right? And, and, and this is their observation. So that's, that's kind of, as I look at what does science think about these near-death experiences, there's a sample of people who have investigated. But I want us to look at scripture, as I said from the top. So I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15, and there's four things that out of this passage, as we go kind of through this chapter, I pulled out some verses to this chapter. We're going to see what happened to Christ after he died. And then um, we'll look at how the part of God's creation is to create new bodies, what that means. And then what happens to us is in this chapter after we die. And then the last part is just like this scriptural evidence for a life after death. And so those are kind of the four areas that we're going to look at. Let's look at verses four through eight. Let me read those for you right now. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. 
Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. This is Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and it's he's talking about Christ and all the people that he saw. These are these detailed accounts of Christ being raised from the dead. And here's what I find to be fascinating about this. Um, in some ways, it's kind of the proof um, of my faith is that these people's lives changed after they saw the resurrected Christ, right? We think about Peter before um, he saw Christ raised from the dead. He loved him. He was one of his close friends. But when challenged the night of his crucifixion, Peter caved, right? He denied him three times. Then after he's seen him, uh, the very same council that sent Christ to the cross has jailed Peter and John. They're questioning him and they're standing up and saying, we don't care what you say. We're going to tell the truth because of what we've seen and what we know. We will witness the fact that Christ that you killed is now raised from the dead and they tell the truth, right? And it cost them that group of disciples that testify to this. It cost them their lives. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. Um, and ultimately they were either killed or exiled. And so it's a pretty strong evidence. And Paul kind of addresses that now. And Paul's another one, honestly. Paul's another one. If we think about Paul's life and that he kind of had everything going his way as part of the Jewish leadership, and he's persecuting Christians, he meets Christ on the road to Damascus, and you know, he lists himself last. But you know, look at his life. It changed dramatically after he encountered Christ, the resurrected Christ. So this is what he says in verses 17 through 20. He says this, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is, the, is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Listen, he is the first of a great harvest of all who've died. So the scripture says that Christ died, was buried, and resurrected. And that he gave up his life. Um, Paul did, as he testifies to this. Paul gave up his life for this. But Christ did this. And here's the key. The key to this for me is verse 20, that he's the first of a great harvest. That's like our first signal that he's saying, he's referring to us believers, that we will also, once we're dead, be raised to new life, that Christ went first and what happened to him will happen to us. John 14, one and three, Christ is almost pleading with us. And he says, you trust God, trust me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when it's ready, I'm going to come back and get you because I want you to be where I am. And so in this way, like we're seeing not just Paul talk about it, but we're seeing Jesus tell us that, yeah, after you die, I'm going to come get you and you're going to be with me. The Bible's telling us through these two that Christ rose from the dead and that we will too. And this is in harmony with these near-death experience stories that we've, that we've heard from, right? Um, that people experience Christ and it changes their life. So let's go on and look at verses 35 through 38 and then also verse 40. And we'll see how new bodies, um, God providing a new body isn't, is, is pretty similar to what other things he's done in creation. So it's like an example for us. Let's, let's look. It says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. 
when you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. And then down in verse 40, it says, There are also bodies in heaven and bodies on earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. See, this is how God has worked in nature. First of all, it's this example that when a seed's planted in the ground, it dies and then it becomes what it was made to be, right? It gets, we'll say like a new body, right? So you put a watermelon seed in the ground and then you put a lima bean seed in the ground. And what comes, what comes up isn't the seed. What comes up is what it was made to be, that new life. So this, when we die and are resurrected and given heavenly bodies, that's consistent with what God's done in nature and part of his creation, right? That it's not like he's never done that before. So that's kind of what this example says to me. And it goes on to talk about how heavenly bodies are different than earthly bodies. So that that's our example that's given right here in the scripture. It's It's practical. It's sort of helpful. But if we're trying to get at like what actually happens to us, let's go on down and look in verse 43 through 44 and verse 50. And what we're going to find is that our, our bodies are made new. Listen, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. And verse 50 says, what I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. So what scripture says is that we will have heavenly bodies. That they're different. They're glorious. They're strong. Paul notes there's a difference between an earthly body and a heavenly body. Um, and that these dying bodies cannot inherit the glorious kingdom that is to come. So if we look at these stories or when you hear these stories, you're going to hear people talk about how they could communicate. They came into the presence of Christ and they could communicate with him, even though a word wasn't said, or they'll say things were so brilliantly bright that if they'd had human eyes, it would have burned their eyes out and that they could absorb this panoramic review of their life where they're seeing all these scenes play out at once. And they feel like that Jesus is talking to them about their life and that they feel loved and accepted, but they're able to pull so much in at once. Um, it's an ADD person's dream. <laughs> it sounds like, but the thing is this, is that there seems to be something greater about the people who have these near death experiences, like the body they get to experience for a moment. And the bodies that ultimately will experience are greater and more glorious than the bodies we have right now. Second Corinthians five also offers this to us. Paul says, yes, we are fully confident. We would rather be away from these earthly bodies and then we'll be at home with the Lord. So the cliche, and I'm not a big fan of cliches, but the cliche is away from the body, home with the Lord. And in this case, cliche is good. It points out the truth. But what we need to know is that when we breathe our last breath, our bodies may remain and be buried, but our soul, our spirit, the essence of who we are, goes immediately to be with Christ. That makes sense out of Romans 8, 38 and 39 that says, I'm convinced that nothing in all creation, neither death nor life, neither the powers of hell or the angels in heaven, I'm paraphrasing, 
But, you know, worries, fears, none of that's going to separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so that makes sense of that, that if our, our spirit goes immediately be with him, we're not separated. We're always in that state of being loved by him. And notice, too, that it says fully confident. I think the Lord wants us to know and experience this. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I love this. I think he wants us to be confident and he wants us to know that he has a place for us and a heavenly body for us. And even better, Revelation 21, 5, he says he's making all things new. See, Christ, when he comes back, he's in a recognizable body, but there's something greater or new about it that, that they're able to see the scars and know him and hear the tone of his voice and know him. But it's, there's something greater in, in how he redeems these bodies. Honestly, friends, it's beautiful and wonderful. So let's go on and look at the last path, part of the passage, verses 51 to 57. I'm going to pull a couple verses out, but says this. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye. When the last trumpet is blown, when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies, into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then down in verse 57, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this passage offers us details about Christ coming for us, right? And, and many would call that the rapture. And there's um, all types of discussion. That's, we're not talking about that other than the idea that he comes for us. That's in today's message. That's, we're going to stick right there. And if you want to hear, read more, read 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. That's another passage that, that relays a similar. And then this is in concert with John 14, 1, 2, 3, 1 through 3. Um, or I could say 1, 2, 3. But anyway, the, the, this like makes sense of that. And then there's details here about our bodies, that they're transformed. Our dying bodies are changed in a moment. And that just tells me, like, there's something. There's life after this life. That, that Scripture's saying that over and over. I feel like evidence abounds from what the scientists I shared with you have told, told you and told me and, and what Scripture's telling us. Here's the thing. Um... The enemy has done a great job at convincing us that uh, we hear people say when somebody dies, oh, they're in a better place. And we picture like this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, if they keep track of time, their worship service. For some of us, that sounds great. And for some of us, that sounds kind of boring. Or we picture like the cartoon images of angels on clouds playing harps. And if you're like me, you're thinking, I don't even know how to play a harp. Like, I don't want that. But what I want you to understand or what I want you to think about is like, this is the fallen world that we live in. And we have these moments, right, that are incredible. I was just thinking about some of them this morning. I was thinking about, well, one, like, look at this. Like, have you, you, you pull up a chair to a place like this 
and look at just an incredible vista and like you know in, in, your, in your bones, you're like, man, this is beautiful. And like there's rest there and you sense the Lord in that moment and that like this is the handiwork of his creation. And I was thinking about like when I drive down Mopac and the big train with like four or five engines come and like the, the rumble and roar of that motor and how it like you can feel it in your body, right? Or remember when we used to go to football games and stand in stadiums? Um, and hopefully we will as soon. Uh, but like when you're there and you sing the national anthem and then these jets roar overhead and they just peel off and shoot up to the sky and you're like, it's powerful. It's incredible, right? Or you, you summit a 14er and you stand and you spin around and you look and you take in everything. I remember the first one that I took my son Davis up and we got up to the top and I looked at him and I said, hey, just so you know, these two rocks came and just, and then all of this came to be. And he laughed. We both laughed about it because as you stand in these places, whether it's on a seashore or the top of a mountain and you, the roar of the ocean or the huge surging tide or you stand and spin and look all around, you know like something bigger than you, something greater than you created all this. And what I want to tell you is that's a taste of what's to come. As we've read about our bodies being transformed and getting glorious bodies, like glorious bodies are made for glory, right? For his glory, that there's going to be adventure. Like he didn't make glorious bodies to do non-glorious things. I believe we are going to be so overwhelmed when we step into that place that it's worth living for now. Right? That's what Paul believed. That's what John believed. That's what all the disciples believed. They gave up their life for this. And that's what we should do too. Look at verse 58. I think it's the last verse in the chapter. It says, So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And I just want to say, like I was thinking about the feeding of the 5,000. Right at the at the end of he's fed five thousand people from five loaves and two fish, and at the end he's like pick up all the leftovers so nothing's wasted. Okay, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's disciples stand. There's twelve baskets left over. There's twelve disciples. So in my mind, they're all holding a basket and they're looking at each other like, man, can you believe he just did this? Do you believe that? Like, look at what he did. If he, he doesn't want anything to be wasted, like, what is heaven like? Have you thought about, like, what, why would he transform our body from an earthly body, which is unbelievable and, like, causes us to worship him? But he takes it and makes it something greater for a purpose, for something greater that's in front of us. Let me just encourage you. Read Burke's book, or at least read the booklet. Go to the website. Check that out. Here's the key in all of this. To inherit all of this, we have to know Christ. And the way we know him is we just invite him in and begin a journey with him. And as we invite him in, his spirit comes inside of us and begins to direct us. And our only job at that point is just to say yes to him. As we get nudges from the spirit, we just begin to follow him. And he takes us on this glorious path that leads to what we're talking about today, being transformed 
into a glorious heavenly body, being in the presence of Christ and spending all of eternity with him. And that all that keeps us from, you know, the only thing that requirement for entry is just to invite the Lord in and just to say yes to that journey. So I just want to encourage you, if you haven't done that, to do that. And if you have done that, to be confident that that's what's ahead. Paul says in the scripture that he's fully confident that we will, if we're not here in our earthly body, that we'll be there with him. And that's the hope of heaven. That's the hope of being of knowing Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this hope, for this great hope that we can all have. I pray for any who have not, that are watching this video and have not come into a relationship with you, that you would draw them in. That they would hear and see the reality, like we talked about in Colossians 3, the realities of heaven, of what it means to know you. Lord, we're so grateful for how you love us. We're so grateful for all you've done for us. We're grateful that one day our faith will be our eyes and that we'll be able to see you and know you. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish all you desire to accomplish in our lives, that we would live for you knowing that nothing we do for you is ever useless or wasted. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, here are a few, couple questions that you guys can talk about. Did you hear anything today? First question, did you hear anything today that offers you a stronger reason to consider life after death? Why or why not? And if you, if you didn't, like, I'm, I'm mad at you. I'm <laughs> just kidding. But did you hear anything today that offers you a stronger reason to consider life after death? Why or why not? Second question, which of these verses offers you the most comfort and encouragement? Okay? Which of the verses we talked about today from 1 Corinthians 15 offers you the most comfort and encouragement? And why is that? Y'all share that stuff together. Hope y'all have a great week.